called Naturally uh, Supernatural. And um, if you were to kind of condense down what we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks, uh, being naturally supernatural is actually just simply about being Jesus to others. That's what it's about. It's, it's how to be Jesus to others. It's learning how to be who we are, yet not just being who we are, but also having the dynamic of God uh, work through our lives um, so that those who are around about us, those that we come into contact with, can experience something of the presence and the power of God. And so what Naturally Supernatural is really about, in, in my thinking, is it's allowing God to love other people through us. That's what the supernatural is. It's allowing God to love people through us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, for those of you familiar, familiar with the scripture, you'll find that, that that chapter is about the power gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then you go on a couple more chapters in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it continues the theme of the power gifts, how to operate um, in the gifts of the Spirit within a church context. So you have 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 talking about supernatural dynamic displays of the power of God. But interestingly, between 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there is another chapter, and it's called 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, very clever. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as what? The chapter of? It's the love chapter. And I find it very interesting that between 1 Corinthians 12, which is about power, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is about power, supernatural, there is what? Love. And I believe what God is trying to say to us is that the key, the secret to operating in the supernatural, to operating in the power dynamic of God is actually love. It's core. It's central to the supernatural life. And you remove love from the supernatural and you end up with selfishness and you end up with, um, I believe, the, the, um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit becomes entertainment. So we go along to church in order to be entertained by somebody, some superstar who has the power. But that's not what it's about, is it? God's everything in Scripture, I believe, is, needs to be anchored in love, even the supernatural. And so, if I was to ask you this morning, for those of us who are Christians here, what is the greatest miracle, the most significant supernatural event that's ever occurred in your life? What is it? What's the most significant supernatural event that's occurred in your life? I can tell you what, I, what the answer should be, if you like. The answer is the most supernatural event that's occurred in every believer's life is coming to know Jesus. That's the most significant supernatural experience any human being can ever have, is to come to know Christ. The, it's called the miracle of the new birth. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of the new birth. And that's when God radically transforms a person from the inside out. And the Bible tells us that when uh, we commit our life to Christ, what happens is we, are, uh, we cross over, it says, from death 
into life. And we become, um, we become new creations. We're made new on the inside. And so Christianity at its core is about supernatural living. Because the greatest miracle that ever occurs in any person's life is the miracle of the new birth. Everything else, every other supernatural, miraculous sign or wonder, it can be um, people's limbs appearing, it can be raising people from the dead. All of those things in comparison to the new birth are secondary. You with me? You don't have to agree with me. I'm right, that would make you wrong, but that's okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. And so what happens when we become Christians, when this supernatural, miraculous event called the new birth occurs in a person's life? When we surrender our lives to Jesus, the the course of our whole world shifts. What happens is heaven invades a human life. The soul becomes the container of the resurrected life of Jesus. And so God himself comes and lives on the inside of us. In 1 John, it actually tells us, it says that the seed of God abides within us. And that word seed in the original Greek language, I just love this, is the word sperm. So each and every one of us that have experienced the new birth, what happens is the very sperm of God, the DNA of God, the DNA of heaven comes and lives on the inside of us. There's no other greater miracle than that. Then God, the God of heaven, comes and invades a human life. And every other miracle, healing, deliverance, raising people from the dead, the prophetic, you name it, nothing compares to the wonder of the new birth. As you can tell, I get excited about this. Okay? And so what happens when we become, when we become Christians? God deals with our past. No matter what our history is, We receive a new identity. We become saints, just like Mary MacKillop. Isn't that wonderful? And we get a new beginning. We receive hope for the future and also power to live the life that calls us to live. Now, if that is the greatest of miracles, the greatest of miracles is the miracle of the new birth, then the pinnacle or the summit of being naturally supernatural people is to be involved in the process of assisting other people on their journey towards having the same encounter that we've had. Does that make sense? The highlight of the supernatural life, of the highlight of being naturally supernatural is actually getting alongside other people and helping them to experience and to encounter what we ourselves have been the recipients of. Does this make sense? And so what we're going to do um, this morning is we're going to look at some of the lives that Jesus touched. And the difference the new birth or their encounter with, with, with Jesus had in, in four individual lives. In order for us to kind of get 
our heads around the kind of people that we come into contact with in our day-to-day lives and give us a glimpse of how we can minister into the lives of other people. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start this morning at Mark chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 2. And one of my favorite characters in the Bible we're going to talk about this morning to start off with. He has a very strange name. He's called the Garrison Demoniac. What a great name. Garrison Demoniac. Garrison was the place where he was from. Demoniac means he was a demonized man from a particular place. What a horrible kind of title or horrible name to have labeled upon you. But this is what we know him as. And it says here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. And whenever he was put uh, put into, into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. And day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, uh, and bowed low before him. And with a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then if we jump down to verse 15, we just see what happens as a result of this man having an encounter with Jesus. It says there, A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. I love this. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. I think you'd agree with me that this man had some problems, didn't he? He had some, he had some issues in his life. And I think uh, you, you look at him, he, he was a man that was doing damage to himself. He was doing damage to, to property. And he was doing damage to other, other people. And really, he was a tragic specimen of humanity. And we can only imagine what this man's torment must have been like. You've got to remember, this is a real person undergoing just enormous pressure in his life that's been exerted by these demonic forces. And we've got to realize that there are people in our world like this man. Perhaps we don't come into contact with them very often. This is an extreme example. But we do meet people that are driven by dark forces. Um, I've, got a, I've got a sister who is a, is a heroin addict or she's, a, she's addicted to any, anything and everything. And it's absolutely tragic to watch what was a beautiful young girl being controlled by forces beyond her capacity to deal with. And she tortures herself. And, she, and, she, and in the process of torturing herself, um, my family have to watch. And, and, and the pain that inflicts upon us as a family as we, as we watch this beautiful, beautiful lady just mess up her life and 
And, you know, people that are involved in addiction, they're chained. If anybody's ever had an addiction problem, it's, it's like being chained. Like this man was chained. He was, he was bound. This man was cutting himself. He was inflicting pain upon himself. And the reason is that hurt people hurt people. And the person that they have a tendency to hurt the most is whom? Themselves and the people that are closest to them. And that, this is the kind of life that this man was, was living, enduring. Can't say it was, it was living, he was surviving. But Jesus comes and touches this man's life, steps into his um, dark world and releases him from demonic bondage. And perhaps we will talk about this issue of deliverance in the next coming weeks because it, we have to face it is a, a real issue that some people do, uh, do encounter. And God has called us to be those who bring deliverance and freedom to people. And so Jesus releases this man from his affliction and he sets him free. And we've got to realize there are some things that counseling cannot change. And I think counselling is really, really important and, and, and vital ministry of the church. But there are some things, I mean, if Jesus had a sat down and tried to counsel this man, it's not going to work. This man needed a supernatural um, power outside of himself to set him free. And what Jesus does for this man is gives him back his sanity, gives him back his dignity, and restores back to him his relationship with his family and with other people. And what happens, having had this encounter with Jesus, this once demonized man, if you read through later on in Scripture, you find out that Jesus appoints him to be an evangelist. He hasn't gone to Bible college for three years. He doesn't have a degree. He hasn't been ordained by some denomination. He's just a man who's had an encounter with Christ, who's been liberated and set free, and he becomes the first evangelist in the Bible. Isn't that awesome? And I just love this man. When I step through the gates of heaven, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus. And I love the story of Abraham. So I'm looking forward to meeting Abraham. And I love to worship. So I'm looking forward to meeting David. But after, after Jesus, you know, the person that I most want to meet when I get to heaven is the Gerasian demoniac. And the reason is that this man is proof that there is no life that's too bad. There, he is proof. He is proof that anyone can be transformed and changed. And he's proof that no matter what your history might be, God has still got a purpose and a destiny for your life. And that excites me. And I just want to have a look at this trophy of grace and talk to him. You see, an encounter with Jesus and the new birth can redirect and change anybody. The second person who uh, I want us to look at is a man by, by the name of Zacchaeus. And we find Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through to 10. It tells us that uh, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. 
He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He called him by name. Do you know that? Jesus calls everyone by name. Every person you ever meet, you need to know that Jesus is calling them individually by name. See, Jesus called Kirsten by name. Jesus called Eve by name. Isn't that beautiful? Every one of us, Jesus utters our name and he calls us to himself. Anyway, that's a freebie. He says to, um, says to Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated, uh, cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, Zacchaeus is a different kettle of fish to the Gerasene demoniac. He's not bound by Satan. He has another problem. His problem is sin and selfishness. Does anybody have a problem with selfishness? Uh, Okay. See, Zacchaeus was interested in three people. Me, myself, and I. That was the focus of Zacchaeus' life. He was rich from ripping people off. He was a Jew that was working uh, for the Roman Empire to uh, exact unjust tax from his fellow countrymen. That's why he was so despised. He was siding with the enemy. He was a thief. He was a, a traitor. And he was at the lowest end of the moral scale. And this man wasn't driven by demons, but he was was driven by a corrupted character. The core of his being was was corrupt. The word wicked means to be twisted. He was kind of, he was twisted. He wasn't in alignment. And Jesus is so wonderful because Jesus was prepared to risk his very reputation and go to this man's home, have a meal and embrace someone that no other good Jew would have anything to do with. And so what encounter that Zacchaeus has with the kindness of heaven, one encounter with acceptance and forgiveness, which is what Jesus offered this man, turned Zacchaeus around and changed his heart. He went from being somebody who was a greedy getter into being a man that was willing to give. And we see that this encounter and a a, uh, the miracle of the new birth transforms the sinful and the selfish as well as those who are bound by Satan. The third person that we're going to look at who had an experience or encounter with Jesus is 
a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was, wasn't anything like Zacchaeus, and he wasn't anything like the Gerasene demoniac. In fact, Saul of Tarsus was a religious man. He was an intellectual. He was a faithful giver. In fact, um, it's quite probable, more than likely, by the age of 12, Saul of Tarsus had memorized the first five books of the Bible. So that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He'd memorized the, the, those, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He'd memorized them word for word. So he was this good man. He's held in esteem, esteem by, his, by the establishment and by his peers. He's a well-respected synagogue leader. He's also a businessman. He's a, a tent maker, so he's a bit of a property developer, if we kind of put him into contemporary terms today. And this man, Saul, was passionate about his religious beliefs. And he would go to extreme lengths because, his, because of his passion for what he believed to be true to protect his faith and what he understood to be the religious um, the religious. Um, uh, tradition of God. Saul's problem wasn't that he was bound by Satan, and it wasn't that he was so much selfish and um, and and sin driven. Saul's problem was he was self righteous. What Saul was trying to do is what. Some people in our community try to do, and that is they try to earn their way to God. See, Saul thought he would be accepted by God if he kept the rules, if he lived a good life. He thought he would be declared right by God um, because of what he did. And what he was doing, he was performing every religious trick that was, was known to man back then to not only gain God's approval, but to maintain God's approval. See, religion is, can be summarized in two words. Do and rules. If I just do enough stuff and if I keep the rules, then God's going to love me. Because God's got to love me because I'm a good person. I'm ticking all the boxes. Whereas Christianity is based on two words, not do and rules, but the two words of Christianity are done and relationship. It's not what I do, it's what Jesus has done. It's his sacrifice on the cross. It's his shed blood. It's what he did at Calvary, what he done for us that gives us the right to stand in the presence of God just as, as if I never sinned. And when I take hold of what Jesus has done for me, it then opens the door for me not to follow rules, but to follow a person and to build a relationship with God. Fundamentally different. Do and rules, done and relationship. And Saul was really confused about this. He, he, he didn't realize that you can never do enough things to be made right with God. 
that God's acceptance and approval of us is only gained by grace. Until Saul had a supernatural encounter with the risen, ascended Jesus. And on his road to Damascus, I was going to say Saul meets Jesus, but actually Jesus kind of jumps in on Saul's life and reigns on his parade and lets him know that it's not about keeping the rules. It's not what you try to do that makes a person right with God. It's what Jesus himself has done and building a relationship with him is what really matters. And what happened is when Saul had that encounter with Jesus, when he experienced the miracle of the new birth, it transformed uh, this man Saul's life and he became a living, breathing Jesus machine. He, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he became Paul the Apostle who travelled the, the then known world starting churches and he was responsible for writing over half the New Testament. Our world is different today because of that man. Because he experienced the miracle of the new birth. And then finally, the fourth person I want to tell you about who represents the kind of people that we come into contact with every day is found in Luke chapter 7. Uh, we know her in the, in the church as being the, uh, the widow from Nain. And uh, we find her in, in, pick up her story in Luke chapter 7 verses 12 through to 15. It says a funeral procession was coming out as Jesus approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son and a large crowd from the village was with her. I love this next line. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearers stopped. And Jesus spoke to that dead man in that coffin. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And I love this next line. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. What a beautiful story. You see, here is this woman. Like many people that you and I come into contact with, she's not bound by Satan. She's not some kind of um, morally corrupt character like Zacchaeus. And she's not a self-righteous person like Saul of Tarsus was. She's an ordinary lady who is experiencing the suffering of life. See, life had dealt this lady a bad hand. She's a widow. So that means her husband has died. 
So she's a single parent. And it's more than likely that her son was her source of provision. It was her son who went out to work, who earned the money that enabled her and and this boy to live, to survive. And now her source of income is gone. There's no Centrelink. There's there's no security, uh, social security system in place back then for people like this. And so here is this woman who has, has known the loss and the pain of, uh, of, of losing her husband and now she's lost her son. And so she's a suffering woman. She's in pain. She's a victim of circumstances. You know, there are people in our world that have had, had, taken, have had things taken from them that they have a genuine right to. I believe it's a fundamental right for people to have food and have shelter. But they're denied that. They're in a circumstance where that right, that, that, that just a fundamental right of being human, to have food on the table and, and, and a place of safety, somewhere to rest and to place your head, that's been removed from them. Or you have... Young girls who've lost their innocence. They have a right to be pure and yet they've experienced abuse. And so they're a, they're a victim of, of circumstance. They hadn't brought this upon themselves, but, and that creates suffering and it creates sorrow and it creates sadness. And so these people are stripped and, and, and that which is rightfully theirs has been robbed from them. Yet, when this lady met Jesus, she encountered a compassionate and powerful God who is the restorer of broken dreams and broken hearts. And he gives to this lady comfort and hope. You know, from the Gerasene demoniac, from Zacchaeus, from Saul of Tarsus, and from the widow of Nain, we can learn some, some important life principles. And that is, everyone we meet needs Jesus. It doesn't matter where anybody is on the spectrum. You can be a Saul. You can be upright, intellectual, you know, somebody that's well-respected and well-esteemed by others, or you can be at the other end of the pendulum, you can be the Gerasian demoniac who's just caught in a web of addiction and, and, and lostness and torment, and anywhere in between. And the truth is, although we are different, we're all the same, aren't we? We all need Jesus. And what we learn from their lives is that when we experience the miracle of the new birth, it doesn't matter where we sit on the spectrum. When we encounter the new birth, when we experience the miracle of salvation, it transforms us and makes us into a new person. We begin a journey towards wholeness. And God reconfigures us and makes us into the people that we were always destined to be. 
And the good news is that for those of us who are the recipients of that miracle new birth, Jesus says, now come and partner with me in a naturally supernatural relationship whereby you become me to other people. This is what the supernatural is all about. And I'm going to give you the tools, because I'm not going to call you to do something and not give you the equipment and not give you the tools that you need to do the job. So for you to minister to the garrison demoniacs of this world, I'm going to give you a gift. It's called the gift of discerning of spirits and the gift of authority to cast out evil spirits. And for the Zacchaeuses of this world, I'm going to, I call you to partner with me and to be me to them and give them the gift that they need, which is acceptance and forgiveness. That's able to break through selfishness and sin. And for the souls of this world, the intellectuals, the, those who are trying to um, you know, do all kinds of religiously gymnastic things to try and please God, those who are spiritual seekers, seeking after truth, says, I want you to be my representative to them. And you're going to be the vessel of my truth and grace to help set them free from their wrong thinking. And for the widows of Nain of this world, those who are suffering, and I have to be honest, I think a lot of the people that we meet with day to day, most of us, you know, you... Maybe it's when I told you about my sister, you went, oh, I never, never knew Steve had a... I tell you what, you know, the people that look... Well, I'm not saying that I look together, but people that look like they've got it all together, you don't have to scratch the surface too deep to find out that in most of our lives there's sorrow and there's pain. Things have happened that have hurt them. And for those people... We bring a message of comfort and a message of hope. And we have the ability to release resurrection life and power into their world, into their circumstances. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about things like healing and deliverance and prophecy. And if we've got time, we'll look at, um, we'll look at uh, dream interpretation and uh, we'll talk about God's supernat- seeing God's supernatural supply. But we need to remember that these supernatural signs, and I've purposefully preached this message because I believe that all of those supernatural signs and wonders and miracles, those great things, the healings, the deliverance, the, the, um, the prophetic, what they are is... They are just there to point people to the person of Jesus, to soften their heart so that they can ultimately receive the greatest miracle of all, which is the miracle of the new birth. And that when we come to church... And we begin to minister in the gifts of the Spirit. And we have altar calls and we, we pray for the sick to be healed. And, and we, we, we,
Pray and believe God for prophetic words or words of knowledge or words of wisdom for one another. Or that we interpret one another's dreams. We do that in order that we can increase our confidence, that we can be trained and equipped in a safe and secure place in order that when we enter into the marketplace, we're able to go into an environment where we can minister those things, the prophetic and healing and deliverance, as signs that soften the hearts of unbelievers to be the recipient of the greatest miracle of all, which is the miracle of the new birth. And so what we do is we don't turn the supernatural into entertainment. It's not about entertaining one another. In church context, it's about equipping and training, building our confidence in order that when in the marketplace we go out and we've learnt and we've grown and our confidence has been built to such a point that the Gerasene demoniacs and the Zacchaeuses and the Sauls of Tarsus and the widows of Nain of this world, we can be Jesus to them and administer the supernatural in a natural way and in the way of love. So does this make sense? So provided some context for what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. All right. This morning, just going to finish off our service, and I want to really pray for those of us who want to position yourself to be used by God to be a naturally supernatural person that facilitates in the lives of others who are on this journey towards Jesus. I didn't make much sense, did it? Did it? I want to pray for those of you who just want to be in a place where you go, God, I want to be a naturally supernatural person. I want, I want the miraculous to flow through me, but I want it to flow through, with, through me for a purpose, and the purpose is the lost. No matter what their brand of lostness might be. So if you're here this morning and you go say, God, I, I want to learn and I want to grow in this area, can I ask you just to stand? I'm going to pray and we're going to ask God to build a genuinely authentic, loving, Jesus-like community of people that express the love of God and the heart of God. Father, this morning, I just thank you for those who are standing in this place, and I just thank you for the hunger in people's hearts. Lord, we acknowledge that it takes a community of people to win a soul. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would come and seal this word to people's lives. And, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us and train us, help us to be naturally supernatural. Father, I pray that we would have week in and week out, story after story, testimony after testimony of 
God, how you have used us in the marketplace. How you've brought a message of truth into people's lives. How you've used us in the area of healing. How you've used us to bring people through into freedom. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your touch, your Holy Spirit would come. Just pray after me, if you would, this morning. Father in heaven, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. That I might be a person who is naturally supernatural. Someone through whom your love flows. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. Beautiful. Let's just wait upon God and and let's, if anybody has anything prophetic, you know, if anybody has a word of knowledge, let's just, let's just give God some space. If anybody has a word of knowledge, let's just, let's just give God some space. All right. Well, well, we'll close our service now. If you need prayer this morning, there'll be some folks available to pray for you and minister uh, to you. For those of us who are able to hang around and let's have some lunch together and fellowship and, um, yeah. There's something I might share, so I'm grabbing it One thing I just encourage everybody is that part of our faith is that if we see somebody in trouble or we, we want to minister to them, part of our faith is to step out. And often I feel inadequate in the situation, so does Helen, so do all of us usually. But God's very gracious. When we actually take that step of faith and, and offer prayer to somebody, God meets you. And, and the Bible does say that, you know, we can stand before kings and the Holy Spirit will give us the words. So, we can, we've got to step out in faith and just rely on the Holy Spirit as we minister to people that they'll give us the right words. And if you stick with a piece of scripture or general prayer, you can't go too far wrong. The worst you've done is given somebody a bit of scripture that means nothing to them. That's the worst that can happen. So. Uh, Bill's taking my message for next week. <laughs> next week I'm probably going to share on God moves when we move. And um, I think that's what we might preach. Sorry? Uh, Bill can preach it, yeah. Amen. Let's, um, let's just finish with the benediction this morning. And this is not just an empty ritual, but I'm going to speak words that I believe God wants to seal to our lives and for us to carry these words with us throughout the week. And it's, there's power in blessing. There's life in the truth of God's word. I'm going to read from 2, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. So just open up your hearts this morning to receive this blessing from heaven. May the Lord of peace himself always give you peace no matter what happens. The Lord be with you all until we meet again. Amen.